Welcome to this talk from the Canon Do Zen Meditation Center. Located in Mountain View, California, Canon Do's meditation practice is open to the public. For more information or to get in touch with us, you can visit our website at canondo.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G. Good evening. So, um, the title of this talk just came to me recently. It's called, uh, I've named it, Been Here for a Moment. Um, so, recently, recently in the middle of some nights, I wake up and can't go back to sleep. Old memories and feelings arise. Some are good, some are bad. Others need to be understood, while others are a supportive friend in time of need. Lately, during these sleepless hours, two Zen stories from many years resurfaced. So I looked them up online. First one is called A Cup of Tea. Nan-in, a Japanese master during the Meiji era, 1868 to 1912, received a university professor who came to inquire about Zen. Nan-in served tea. He poured his visitor cup full and kept on pouring. The professor watched the overflow until he no longer could restrain himself. It's overfall. No more will go in. Like this cup, Nanin non said, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. How can I show you Zen unless you first empty your cup? Second story is called Calling Card. Kichu, Kaichu, a great Zen teacher of the Maiji era, was the head of the Dufuku Cathedral in Kyoto. One day, the governor of Kyoto called upon him for the first time. His attendant presented the card of the governor, which read Kitagaki, governor of Kyoto. <clears throat> I have no bad business with such fellow, said Kiyuchu to his attendant. Tell him to get out of here. The attendant carried the card back with apologies that was my error," said the governor with a pencil. He, with the pencil, he scratched out the words "Governor of Kyoto." Ask your teacher again. Oh, is that Kitagaki? Explained the teacher when he saw the card. I want to see that fellow. These two stories reminded me of a screenwriting principle: to find the truth, you must negate the negation. Long ago, these two Zen masters practiced this principle, unimpressed with the hollowness of hollowness of ideas and status. They, they saw their visitors' humanity. Sometimes when our humanity is not addressed, something inside goes missing, and one goes looking for it everywhere. <clears throat> Over the past 25 years, I've heard many personal heard and read 
many personal stories from diverse backgrounds with family themes of strictness, neglect, lack of acceptance. Reflecting on these stories made me think this is samsara. Life in Karachi was similar to one growing up in any other metropolitan city. Cities have no time or space to acknowledge one's humanity. Rather, life is put on your mental armor. When you hit the pavement, pick yourself up, smile, and keep moving forward. Growing up, I was given the old adage, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Like a train on a one-way track, I studied business for two years at University of Karachi, then picked up certificates in and diplomas in accounting, photography, hotel management. Jobs were working in sales for, at a multinational company, management training and in an international hotel chain, operations at filmmaking company. When not working, I took care of my disabled father who had been injured in the 1971 India-Pakistan war. I touched down in San Francisco in 1994 and hit the ground running, completing a degree in filmmaking from San Francisco State, spent two years studying 3D digital animation, made short films, worked in Hollywood television and movie sets, worked in operations and sales for different companies and for the National Park Service. Even after doing all this stuff, I felt a bitter dis disconnection with life. Arriving at Canindo in 2007, I met Zazen and Les. Here I was given instruction on Zazen, Kinhin, Saturday cleaning, breakfast, orioki, sashins, and attending Wednesday night lectures. In one of the weekly lectures, Les said, we practice to experience our true self. After hearing this and attending my first of many Kenindo sessions, I knew what to do. I was going to sit till I broke through the bitterness inside. Someone, someone once had told me, looking back at your past, your vision is 2020. In sitting, I saw my false thought patterns. I will be okay when I get there. I will be okay when I have that. I will be okay when I get liked by that person, or I will be okay when I become that person. It was never okay. <clears throat> Rather deep down, these were learned feelings of inadequacy and helplessness, disguised as cleverness and anger. Getting straight with myself meant giving up the constant desire for status and approval and being okay in the moment. Two years ago, before COVID-19 began, one cloudy morning, I went out for a walk. It started drizzling. I heard myself thinking, this rain is not as good as the rain in Hawaii. I said to myself, if this moment is not good enough for you, which moment will be? Comparison has approval sitting underneath it, which takes away the joy of living in the moment. Gratitude is the antidote to comparison and approval. I guess this is what Suzuki Roshi meant when he said, um, you don't sit Zazen. Zazen sits Zazen. These days, 
I'm taking some classes supporting Bowen work, human body work modality, which I practice. In a recent class, a lecturer said, you know why your parents on some, or somebody else hurt you? It is because this was done to them. This is what they felt. <clears throat> hurt people hurt others. Loving people love others. Most human behavior comes from beliefs, which are ideas handed down to us from birth to teenage years. We take these ideas, put together a personality in our teenage years. This personality is like an old operating system, a solution to an old problem. It does not solve a current problem, rather becomes problematic itself. So what do we do? Will we look at the old ideas, keep the beneficial ones, drop the non-working ones? Lecturer continued. We as human beings are taught to go outside in. But when we meditate, we start to move from the inside out. Now when old hurts come up, we trust our intuition, look at the old hurt, see the lesson behind the old hurt, see if it serves we, serves us, we keep it. If it doesn't, we let it go. This lecture reminded me of Suzuki Roshi's story when the student said to Suzuki Roshi, you're the boss. And he, and Roshi retorted, no, you are the boss. Les reinterpreted this in one of his Zen work seminars. It is up to you to let go of expectations and habits and not take everything personally. Buddha said, become a lamp onto your own feet. In the past 15 years at Kenando, I have seen people like me come and go. They were all looking for answers outside of themselves. When we sit Zazen, <clears throat> we, face, we face our life, our true confidence arises. We realize all answers are inside. We were just looking for them in the wrong place. Moving from the inside out leads to dropping off of the constant need for validation from the outside. I'm coming to realize that the spiritual path is a solitary journey, not a tribal or collective one. On this path, there is nothing to correct, fix, acquire, achieve, rather accept it all with no judgments. Recently, disease, fires, floods, hatred, journalistic and artistic censorship, war, displacement of people have become an unavoidable condition in our world. Past few years have felt as if somebody turned up the human suffering thermostat to the max. These days, I ask myself who or what outside of myself do I care about? Can I 
give my ears to someone for a little while? Can I give my <clears throat> effort to help others? What am I afraid of? What makes me cry? Physical things may come from life and go, but deeper question remains, what makes me fulfilled deeply inside? As one of my old wise neighbors and mentors in San Francisco once said to me, yesterday is a cash check, tomorrow is a promissory note. Today, today is cash. I looked at him puzzled, he clarified. Joyfully feel and experience life now. Thank you, Omar. I'm open the floor. Um, any questions? Comments? Yes, ma'am. Um, Omar, I feel like it's really dark chocolate. I, I need to digest a little bit. So, um, Philip. I wanted to thank you, Omar, for uh, sharing a life of, of practice in a beautiful poem. Felt like there's so much like May, it's a dark, dark chocolate is one analogy, a strong coffee is another. It's so it was so rich. Um, I really loved going on that journey listening, listening to you. And I wanted to express my my gratitude. Um, It feels to me like the, the talk kept circling around to to what Zazen means to you in so many different uh, contexts. And um, I just, I don't know, I just, I guess I just wanted to thank you and, and feel, say that I feel uh, uplifted by your talk. Yes, me. Um, so Umar, I, I'm curious that um, when you hear like Suzuki said, um, you are the boss. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, 
I, I am struck by that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about you. When you hear that, um, what has come up for you at that moment? I'm just curious. You it's, are the boss. Yeah. It's my responsibility to, um, to uh, live my life in uh, sort of a, in a aware manner. That's all I know. You know, now that uh, I've uh, been, been here for... Um, I, continue. Um, I, I'm always pondering about this responsibility and... Uh, I'm sorry about what? Oh, I think I'm always, um, I'm always puzzled about this responsibility. Um, I feel so heavy, you know, um, and it shouldn't be, right? Um, mm. So I'm curious about how you handle that, the heavy and the light, and then how you turn this heaviness into <laughs> light. Um, it wasn't a heaviness, it was more of a bitterness. And... Not necessarily the bitterness, it's just like, you know, you have this um, maybe to to reframe like that way, and then um, you know, I have a Chinese background. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I encounter those Chinese and ancestors. Oh my God! Everybody has this towering figures, towering mm -hmm. figures. Mm -hmm. I you feel burdened. <laughs> I don't know. And then on one side, I'm so admired them and so aspiring. But on the other hand, it's just, it's just burden, you know. Um, I don't know why do, do I feel burdened. So I don't know whether other people feel the same way. But I just, I just when I talk about responsibility, I just feel this heaven, this heaviness mm. um, there. Um, it's not supposed to be, right? Um, so I'm just love to hear your thoughts on, you know, maybe not, but... Um, from you. Thank you. So, um, the way that I feel it um, is uh, you know, we we identify. We, we uh, as human beings, we need to know where we come from. And that is very important. That is just that is something um, that crows know. Uh, crows teach their children. Uh, monkeys teach their children. We teach our children. Um, uh, I was told growing up where I came from, what my background was, where... Um, um, so it, it is an identity, and um, it's not an issue of identity, but it's more uh, an issue of getting attached to your identity. 
if I get attached to the identity of my past that I came from a certain country or a certain culture or a certain place, and that stops me from doing things, then that is more of a problem. It's not really... Um, it's not really a solution, you know. Um, that's the best way I can answer that for you because it just does not really help in moving forward. You know, I can I can get attached to something and I can carry it behind me and carry it and carry it and carry it for a certain point till it becomes a very heavy burden. And I can say, oh, I can't carry this anymore and I have to let it go. But that doesn't, just because I've let it go does not mean that I have disrespected it or I have forgotten it or um, I don't care about it. It just means that I'm not carrying it anymore. I'm not attached to it physically or mentally. That's the best way I can put it for you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I know. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes, Diane. Thank you, Omar. That was a lovely talk and a lovely journey you took us on. I think you have definitely let go or you seem less heavy, less burdened lately. You seem lighter and more fluid. So I see a change in you and, and you've kind of explained it through the journey that you've gone through. Do you find that you really, when things come up, disturbing things come up for you, a memory from the past or something angers you or upsets you, do you find that your gut reaction is still the same and that you have to consciously work at putting that back? Or, or are you finding now it's just more of a new way of, of acting and living and feeling and being it's um honestly it's become more like um more like oh understanding it, it sometimes something comes up and i go wait something is coming up and it needs to be addressed so i've started going and looking at um i've let go of the story mm -hmm. and uh, i let go of the story and i focus more on the emotion now see what emotion is attached to the story okay. because as human beings uh, we have stories we've been writing stories since we've been around we started out by writing them on the walls but they were um the issue becomes when emotions get really heavy 
and emotions can be very um, what would you call them what would be a right word it emotions can hook you and and it can be very uh, and they can overwhelm you so now what I do is I don't really back off from my emotions. I let go of the story and just look at, stay with the emotion and say, oh, oh, I see something is coming up. Something's happening. This is what is disturbed. There is something disturbing me. There is something else that this is attached to. And I have to go and find that. I try to find that. And I let that go. Mm. Yeah. Because um, it is... It is, it's not easy. It's just, okay. it's, it, it still is not burdensome, but it's more like slowing down and looking at things. Yeah. And um, that's all I know. You know, I mean, I've been going around recently, things, you know, something has been coming up inside of me that uh, keeps on saying, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. You know, I'm just, I'm doing my best to understand. That's all I can do. You know, I'm just, you know, so, yeah. That's the best way. And that's the most honestly I can answer your question. Lovely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, Janet. Thank you, Umar. That was a lovely talk. And, you know, none of us know anything. So, <laughs> oh, gosh. I just listening to you makes me miss, miss you guys so much. Can't wow. wait to see you again uh, next month and hope everyone can come to our a uh, holiday party and um i love you thank you thank you for your talk thank <laughs> see you see you soon see you soon thank you thank you david hi omar thank you hi david thank you for your talk um you're a good storyteller <laughs> Um, somewhat stealing off of Janet's comment, I was surprised to hear you say the spiritual journey is solitary and not tribal or something like that. Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Did you? I mean, the idea of Sangha is so important in the spiritual, in the life of any spiritual questing person, I think. Uh, could you say more about the relationship between solitary spiritual search and the community? Yeah. Um, so when we when we go and sit, you know, we uh, we make the decision to go and sit. We make the decision, even if I get up in the morning and I go to the zendo three days, four days a week, and I go and sit. I'm making that decision, and I am uh, I'm going to sit. And there have been nights when I've been up all night long, and, and I say to myself, you know, I don't know if I can do it, 
So I say to myself, okay, you know, let's, you know, let's get out of bed, put our feet down and see where we are and start moving our feet and see how, how far my feet take me. So, you know, but it is my responsibility, my, uh, it is my responsibility, it is my, um, my job to go and sit, to take that spiritual step and move forward on each and every spiritual step. I can help people in the Zendo when they come. I can be there for them and I'm there to support them and I'm there to support the Sangha and the community, but I can't take responsibility for somebody else's practice. So that's what I meant when I said it's a solitary journey. We all have to take the um, sort of, we all have to make an agreement with ourselves and say, I'm making this agreement with myself and not but with somebody else and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to move forward. That's the best way I can explain it. Thank you. Thank you. Very, very clarifying. Thank you. Arnan. Yes, Arnan. Hi, Umar. Hi. Long time. I know. Thank you very much for your talk. Sure. And I wanted to make a, a short comment, mm -hmm. uh, a, a little story that I think is related, and then a question. Mm -hmm. The stories that um, a cousin of mine, uh, mm -hmm. about four years ago, he was he was 55, something like that. Four years ago, he was dying at 55. In 2018, he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And he was told that he had one year left. Mm -hmm. And um, he was born two months, I mean, two months before he was born, his father died in an airplane accident. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know his father. He had a difficult life. Mm -hmm. There were seven brothers and sisters with a difficult life, all their life. Mm -hmm. But he was always happy, but troubled. Mm -hmm. And one day I was trying to cheer him up and he told me, he said, stop. He said, I am the happiest I have never been in my life. Mm -hmm. It was about five months before dying. And I asked him, are you saying that to, to yourself to make us not worry? And he said, no, he was very clear. He said, no. I have never been happier, and the reason is because I found that I have traveling all my life with a big, heavy backpack, with sorrows, hurts, problems, regrets. And now that I know that I wouldn't die, that backpack is gone. And it's, and it's the most beautiful, the most beautiful feeling I have had, and I never imagined what it is. And and, um, and he died 
consoling all of us. I'm truly happy. And he said, and he said to one of his brothers, little before he died, he said, the only thing I can tell you as an advice, if I can give one, is try to throw away the backpack. <laughs> and then the question is, uh, uh, from your story, beautiful, it seems that uh, letting go of your career, which was not related to you to sell, was very important. And you did that in a place where career achievement and material achievement is highly prized and highly desired in society. So I'm curious, uh, how was that pressure for you? Um, it was very disturbing at first because things weren't working out. It was just like, I just started feeling that I was coming up against a wall. I was, I did, I had run my um, tap dry. I did not have any uh, creativity left. Um, the strangest thing that happened to me was uh, I left that all behind, but one day something uh, there was a there were some people who showed up at the Stanford campus and they were handing out cameras and microphones and said, "Go make a movie." So I took one from them and I said to myself, "Okay, let's see if I can even still do this." It was just more like, you know, do I still have it in me to be able to make something? And uh, long behold, I did. In two days, I got people together, shot a short film, put it together, and uh, handed it into the festival. And this was like, I think 2009, 2010. And it was long after I was sitting. But one thing I thought <laughs> was that... Uh, my, um, there wasn't hardness in me when I even when I was making the movie um, when the movie I put together like I was focusing more on a softer subject about relationships between people human beings and it was about you know coming back to uh, a place called home what is our home so, so I've done these tests over a few years. Uh, when I was working for Best Buy, they actually sent me to do an Apple training. And in that Apple training, we had to go and make a movie. So I directed these few people and I made a movie. And the guy looked at me and said, man, your, your movies like, make so much more sense than everybody else's. Well, I just stayed quiet. Like I'm not going to say anything. I said, like, "Okay, thank you." Which was just, you know, because of the people that I was working with. So, but it's uh, I've done these tests to see if this thing goes away from me, but it's still there. It hasn't run away. It just, uh, you know, I'm just trying to. Uh, 
work on my hardness. There's a lot of hardness in me. And it, it just, I have <laughs> had years of accumulated hardness in me. And that's what I'm dealing with. And I'm trying to soften this hardness down a little bit so that I can accommodate a little bit more, you know. So hard surface, hard surfaces actually reflect sound. Soft surfaces absorb sound. So that's what I'm trying to do: is become a softer surface. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. In the beginning, it was hard to give up that kind of, you know. People were always saying to me, oh, you're going to be this and you're going to be that. And they wanted me to be all of this and all of that for them and not for me. So that that was also an issue that that was a burden that I was carrying. And I had to understand that to set it down. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, just happy. Hi, Umar. Hi. How are you? Thank you. I'm well. Oh, good. Uh, it resonates with me the story, which I didn't remember, of crossing the away the title of governor of Kyoto <laughs> from the. <laughs> business card to be recognized by the master there or, or by yourself maybe. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, surely that is a process for me that <laughs> is very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, <clears throat> So it's um, the, once you cross out the, or maybe erase out the title that is your identity in, in the society, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, it, um, I've discovered I'm uh, very shy to go around in the society without the title. It feels like, you know, the, the in our practice, the our practice uh, is not uh, achieving something practical, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't achieve something practical. Mm -hmm for the society mm. um, in terms of, uh, you know, we're not <clears throat> volunteers at the food shelter or home shelter, homeless shelter or um, so the things we do in the society have some practical 
helpfulness that is recognized mm -hmm. is recognized by others is recognized by us mm -hmm. in a tangible way somehow mm -hmm. and uh, the practice is um i think there was uh I, someone sent me a movie about the life uh, of a, a contemporary teacher in the u.s the title of the movie was uh a life good for nothing. <laughs> this is one of the most famous teachers mm. and teachers in, in the US. Mm. So the enormity, the enormity of crossing that title and the active life so to speak, that goes with it to the practical contributions to society for a life good for nothing is, um, I think, is is so revolutionary, different from anything else. Uh, I don't think it can be. Um, described uh, a, a different way. So I, I wanted to hear from you uh, your feelings in uh, associated to that crossing uh, the filmmaker, this and that, and you know, the 1000 different things that you've done and you're, you're uh, identified with, including, you know, I think I like being a human being. I think one of the things that happened to me was from the very beginning, it was just like, you know, I wasn't, um, I wasn't the favorite child or the, you know, the most good looking or anything, but it was just like, I was the one who was the most around. So... I was always there from the very beginning. So, and when I went to the university, it was just more like I just went where I was needed. And maybe this has to do with not, uh, this doesn't have to do so much with the, the what do you call that the birth order but more about it was more about being middle class and it's like when you're middle class you you have a need or desire to go and find things out and and get into things and and sort of figure things out it was about always about figuring things out so i would always put myself in situations that i was I ended up getting seen and, you know, uh, like uh, I was at San, at San Francisco State and now half the school knew me. They were talking about Umar. They knew which Umar they were talking about. There were four, but then they would always be talking about me. And then, you know, I went to, the, to work at the Stanford bookstore and so many people knew me and 
Best Buy and it, I don't know. I've just been putting myself into situations just so you bring this up and I'm thinking about this. I, I put myself in situations where I was constantly needed. So, uh, but there is something in me that wants to run away from all of this, uh, you know, um, unnecessary attention. It's just like, I want to be a regular human being. I, you know, I just want to live my life and, and not be all those things um, that I'm associated with. These are these are wonderful things that you know that like you're saying we do and society you know responds towards us by giving us money or giving us awards or giving us something wonderful and i'm really thankful for that um you know just um so and, you know, Screen Actors Guild gave me an award and I, all I had done was I just went in and filmed their workshops and it was just like, and they gave me an award and it was just like made it such a big deal out of it that I was just so, on some level, I did not know what to make of it. So I'm much more of a person who... I think I want to be under the radar. I want to, um, on some level, just be there to help out, but not get too much recognition. It's just, it's not something that I really liked from the very beginning. So crossing that name out, the title out for me, I, I was just thinking, oh, this is interesting. If I can cross that title out, uh, that gives me more space to put down another title, number one. And number two is it's okay for me to be no one. Just, you know, to just go and do shopping or go and be in society when nobody gets to draw raw over me. You know, so I like that. That's my take on it. That's my honest take on it. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know if I answered your question. It it makes sense. The um, I do feel the responsibility. <coughs> um towards the society, mm -hmm. um, also on the practical level, um, that um, gives me a feeling of guilt if I only maybe, um, yeah, to say no to some certain <laughs> things, you know, to say no. Because uh, I feel like I'm, Telling, I'm shy. I'm feeling like I'm telling. Oh, this uh, business thing is not good. Uh, if I say no, you know, um, every time I say no, I say, yeah, no, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's great. 
spending all your life working is exactly what I've done. And I think it's a great thing. And your energy go there can be put to great use and develop so many things and other human beings. And then I'm always shy when I to say, but, you know, <laughs> but personally, uh, I am at the point where I'm crossing that dialogue. Um, yes, do I know that I, I, I contribute to anything or that the life would be good for nothing? I don't know. Mm. Um, but that's a big... Um, thing for me every time yeah. mm. no it is difficult I, I i certainly understand it i used uh, when i was going to the university of karachi i used to go and study poetry um i always had a hard time with poetry and just like i had to go and sit with the professor of and he used to teach me poetry and um so he he one day said to me out of the blue, he was just thinking and, you know, he would sit and get lost in the thought. And then he would say to me, he would say very profound things. And one day he said to me, you know, the problem with all of us is we say yes very easily. And and that gets us in trouble. And you you bringing this up, and he was a university professor too, and he had been like for 25 years, he was a poet, but he decided that he had to, you know, earn a living and have a family. He be, but he used to say this to me all the time. He said, you know, this is a problem that we all have, and especially human beings have, that we go around saying yes to everything. Sometimes we have to say no. And he was talking from his personal experience. Yeah. And and Umar, isn't that interesting that um, less is always is always, you know, described our practice um, to us and advice, life advice that uh, has been given, uh, saying stay with with uh, your setup, you know with your life, family, work, what, what it is. Him, he didn't uh, ever advise me, oh, drop everything and go away to somewhere different or even just kind of draw. You know, and he always said, oh, whatever <clears throat> crossing of that name you want to do, you could do it with, with the... Uh, practical life that is going on right now isn't that isn't that interesting how do you feel that i think um what less has been always trying to tell all of us is you know hold yourself up to a higher standard and this is what our practice should be and this is what our life should be that we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard and when we hold ourselves to a higher standard we're able to actually uh, make a difference and affect other people's lives when people see that we hold ourselves to a higher standard they they see that you know one person can do it so can I 
I can raise myself up. And I think this is the heart of our practice too, that we have to sort of, we don't give up. We just, you know, we change and we, but we keep on holding ourselves up to a higher standard. And it is a standard that we have to set up for ourselves, you know, without really um, being too, too unnecessarily hard with ourselves or hate to the point where we end up hating ourselves. I think that's, you know, it's like we have to hold ourselves up to a higher standard with love for ourselves. I think that's that's the best way I can put it. That even less, I don't think, less has always held himself to a higher standard. I, I've never seen him say even when he talks to me he just uh, keeps he says you have to hold yourself up to a higher standard and this is your responsibility this is your job not his and uh, so i just i understand what you're telling me but this is very important for us as buddhists and especially for priests it's very important that we um, you know uh, sort of we don't um, we don't lose it become a little bit uh, we're the ones who have to keep our heads on screwed on straight while everybody else is losing their heads so you know it's a big responsibility it's a big standard it takes a lot of courage takes a lot of effort but we have we've chosen to do this and we are going to do this that's what we're going to do and that's what I'm doing. I'm just thinking about what Giuseppe said about saying yes to something, or you saying you have to learn to say no to something. But during your talk, you used the word acceptance. Mm -hmm. and, and in a way, you're saying yes all the time. When everything that comes up, you're accepting it. You're saying, yes, this is the reality for here and now, and I'm saying yes to it. So in a way, we need to say yes. I mean, if we're overburdened with tasks or our job, that's a whole different thing. But in terms of, of addressing life, I think what you said about acceptance and being with saying yes to what is in this moment. Of course. Of course. So that's a yes part. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder, I was, is that what you meant when you said that? Yes, exactly. I was talking to one of Bill Kwan's students, and he said to me, I said, oh, this should be this way. And he said, they're not, you know, Bill says this too. He said, he said they're not shoulds in life. Give up this whole idea of should, you know. This, this is this way. You know, this is what is happening, even if it is... Um, bad and evil this is this way you have to accept and he said there is no and he said i've been doing this practice for quite some time but there is no other way than accepting what is happening and in accepting that what when we accept reality then we can move forward towards uh, 
making changes, appropriate changes that are beneficial not only towards us, but towards everybody else. Uh, but sometimes we have to, you know, to keep our sanity, we have to say no to people and say, look, can we like put this off or do this later? I'm kind of tired. I'm, I need to get some sleep or I need to go and get some lunch. Would you like to come with me and talk to me? You know, there's an old, um, uh, old thing from old saying from Hollywood, where they say, "Let's walk and talk," you know. So it's like it's uh, it means okay, I'm on my way. I'm doing something else, but I'm not avoiding you. Yeah. So it, it, it's that sort of a thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This talk was brought to you by the Canando Zen Meditation Center in Mountain View, California. For more information, or to support this podcast, go to canando.org. That's K-A-N-N-O-N-D-O dot O-R-G.